0: The words that we're looking at from the Bible this morning are in Ephesians chapter 5, so if you have a Bible, turn with me to that section. For six months or more, we've been going through this letter, verse by verse, often concentrating on key words. This morning it's Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Here Paul is giving us various practical applications for godly living. In the previous section, the key word was light. Jesus is the light of the world. We are lights that reflect his, work, his light, and we are to walk in the light. In these three verses, the key word is time. How do you define time? Have you parents ever tried to explain or define, define it to your little children? You could say, well, it's measurable chronology, but how do you measure it? Ever since time began, people have tried to measure it in different ways, of course, looking at the revolving of the sun and the earth turning around. But how about during the day? Well, someone invented the sundial. Chinese had an idea of having a big container of water that would drip at a certain pace so that it would fill up a bowl within, let's say, 12 hours, or maybe one hour. They would also burn candles that were marked, and they would say, well, it would burn this far in one hour, and so forth. Then someone invented clocks, and sometimes they're digital clocks, or the old-fashioned ones you have to wind up. They're stopwatches for races. Someone came up with a very interesting kind of clock that ran backwards, It was for radio broadcasters to know how much time they've got left before the next commercial. And then, of course, a broken clock can go backwards. And as you've heard this saying, a broken clock is right twice a day. Then there are other things concerning time. Can you go back in time? That's a popular theme in science fiction. To go back in time or to go forward in time. There was a movie, Back to the Future. If you could get in a time machine and go back, what time period would you want to go back to for, let's say, just 24 hours? But, of course, you can't go back in time. Old people want to be young again. Say, oh, I wish I could go back to 1963 or whatever. Or you wish you could go back just 24 hours so that you wouldn't repeat a certain sin or mistake You say, oh, I wish I had never done that, but of course you can't go back in time. Let's look at these verses and concentrating on verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Verse 15 says, see that you walk circumspectly, and that means carefully. Now, Paul has already used the word walk about five times is a metaphor for living, you walk day by day, step by step, hour by hour. The great Chinese Christian watchman, Nilo, wrote a book on Ephesians called Sit, Walk, Stand. Chapter 1 says we are seated with Christ, we walk, but then in chapter 6 he says take a stand. Elsewhere Paul says run the race. Now when he says circumspectly, that just simply means Carefully. To avoid danger. that uh, may be seen or unseen, but it means to be very careful where you walk. If you know Spanish, it's mucho cuidado. Be careful. There may be danger in the very next step. Let me give you four illustrations of this. Two involving me, two that did not involve me. Uh, when I was uh, in seminary, I once lived in the basement of a very big mansion owned by a very wealthy doctor. And in the backyard, the mother had a beautiful garden, and the father had a little chicken coop with chicken wire, and they'd have fresh eggs every day. And sometimes they asked me to go and pick up the eggs or feed the chickens. One Sunday morning, I was running a little late, so I said, oh, I've got to feed the chickens, and I went to open the gate, and they all flew out. And here I am chasing them in my Sunday suit, ready to go to church. Have you ever tried to chase a chicken? <laughs> It's not easy. They go this way and that way, but I eventually threw them all back and closed the gate. Interesting, around that garden in the back was a tall stone fence to keep animals out away from the chickens, dogs, cats. They didn't have barbed wire on top. They did an old-fashioned thing maybe you've seen They embedded shards of broken glass all along the top of that fence. And of course, a dog could jump a six-foot fence, but not with that on top, but the cats were curious. They'd hear those chickens, and they wanted to have a look and maybe go grab one. So I remember seeing a cat jump on top and walk between the shards of glass, keeping its balance so it doesn't fall over either way. It was walking circumspectly. Very, very carefully. That's how we need to walk. Another time, I was down at the ranch in South Texas <clears throat> and walking around, kind of looking off in the distance. Are there any deer out there? And what else, other wildlife today? And I stepped on what I thought was a big stick. Rattlesnake. Brrr. Well, I jumped one way and he went the other way. Went and got my shotgun and killed it and measured it. It was six feet long. I had not been walking circumspectly. I was not watching where I was walking. We have to be careful. The next illustration is the old-fashioned circus tightrope walker. You've seen with Big Pole. They have to walk very carefully because if they don't have a net, it could lead to their death. And then, of course, the people that risked their lives, and some even gave their lives, June 6, 1944, in the Normandy Beach, filled with landmines. And those noble soldiers did not know where they are. They had to walk very circumspectly. Now, do you get the idea? He says, walk carefully, circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Because there's danger out there. What danger? Satan, the world filled with sinners, temptation, unexpected emergencies like medical emergencies could happen the very next day. Or sometimes you're just driving and you notice somebody weaving this way and that. and You say, he's been drinking or he's on drugs. You want to slow down. You want to be very careful. My dad used to say, son, always look out for the other guy, not just where you're going. So we need to be very careful of danger. Now Christians face danger from the devil. What about non-Christians? If there are any non-Christians here, let me give you a serious warning. You are facing more danger than you realize. Unseen danger. Here's this metaphor. You are walking across a bridge that is very rickety. You ever walk across such an old bridge like that and it's going this way and that If you're lost, you're walking over a rickety bridge that could crash at any moment. You'd be dead. You'd be doomed. It's also like you're walking across thin ice. You know, our local lake sometimes freezes over, but sometimes parts of it are very thin. And a person would be very foolish to go walking or skating on thin ice. If you're an unbeliever, you are walking on thin ice. And some people are running across it. They're running across that rickety bridge. Not circumspectly. So you're in danger of your life and your eternal destiny. The Bible says man knows not his time. What time? He doesn't know when he's going to die. If All of us could die at any day. But if you're a lost sinner, you're on that rickety bridge. And you don't see the danger. You'd be very wise. To run to the Lord Jesus Christ. While there is still time. To be saved. The verse says walk circumspectly. Not as fools. But as wise. It is wise to walk through life. Very carefully. And it's very foolish. To ignore the dangerous signals. Like going out on the lake. And you already see a sign saying danger. Thin ice. And say well get that sign out of here. That's foolishness or to cross a bridge you know that has gone over sometimes it's crashed a fool ignores warnings and a fool ignores God's warnings it would be foolish to tempt death you know people do that and get a kick out of that certain sports bungee jumping bullfighting fast cars they get a certain adrenaline rush I've cheated death I'm tempting death that's the sport of a fool, because people have died in each of those sports that I have just mentioned. The book of Proverbs often contrasts the fool with the wise man. And it says here, don't walk as fools, but as wise. Parents teach their children, don't be a fool, don't do that. That's stupid. Do this. This is the wise thing to do. A child naively doesn't know much better. Are you a fool or are you wise? And true wisdom is determined by God, not by us, not by our emotions, not by public opinion polls. Jesus said, be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. In in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. So he says, walk here properly, wisely, wisely. The parallel is in Colossians four or five where it says, Walk in wisdom to those who are outside. What does that mean? If you're a Christian, walk very wisely as you meet non-Christians that are outside of salvation. Why? They may tempt you, they may accuse you, they may lay traps for you at work to get you fired because they don't want you working in that place. You're 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 a danger to their conscience. But they want you to be like them. And they are watching. They're listening. So be careful what you do, what you say. Others are listening. And of course, God is as well. Now let's concentrate on verse 16. Look at the verse. Redeeming the time... Because the days are evil. Redeem means to buy or to buy back. It doesn't mean you can set the clock back. I know in a few weeks we change the clock because of daylight savings, but you can't go back in time. What he means is use time properly, don't waste time. Now we all have to sleep, we have to eat, we have to go to work. If you're st- students, you have to study. Someone once said, the best measure of a person's character is what does he do with his spare time? Well, you have hobbies, you have entertainment. But of course, empty time is the devil's playground and temptation arises. How do you use your spare time? Don't waste time. First Corinthians 7.29 says, time is short. The average American's lifespan is 82 years, as the Bible says, three score and ten, if by reason of strength a little bit more, but then some people don't make it to that. They die young, and young people don't realize how fast Time goes, you know, some of us that are older, shake your head if you know exactly what I mean. You reach middle age and it seems like time goes faster and faster like a snowball picking up momentum, but to a young person, he can't imagine being 30, 50, 80 years old. And so they say, just live for today. That's the wisdom of a fool. You need to look ahead and beyond death into eternity. Time is short Eternity is very long, and people can die at any age. Children, listen to me, get ready to meet God now. Children younger than you have died and had to meet God. Don't say, I'll get right with God when I grow up, meanwhile I want to have fun. You may never grow up. Come to Jesus early in life, and then you have the great blessing of serving him your whole life. Don't say, well, when I'm old and on my deathbed at 82, you may not make it that. Come to Christ young in life, and don't waste your life. Therefore, you'll spend your whole time serving Christ. Now, he says, redeem the time, but you can't buy time. Science fiction has had various ideas of buying time. Imagine, for example, a time auction. And there's an auctioneer saying, I'm selling you one 24-hour day. How much am I bid for that? Most people would say, well, what's one day? What's one hour? There are situations where that element of time becomes extremely valuable, and you would give up anything for it. For example, 450 years ago, Queen Elizabeth I was on her deathbed. And she knew she was dying, and she was in great pain, and she grabbed the doctor and said, Time, time, I'll give my whole kingdom for just one more hour before I die. He couldn't give her even one more hour. Time is valuable. Time is short. It's a great commodity God has given to us. Therefore, don't, don't waste it. Don't throw it away. Value every second, every hour, every day. But people keep delaying. Christians delaying, saying, well, I'll serve God later. Well, what about today? And the unbeliever keeps putting it off. Of course, some of them don't care. But there are unbelievers that say, yes, I know I should get ready to meet God. I know I'll die one day. I I should, but not yet. And the devil whispers a hundred excuses into his ear. Not yet. Maybe after this or that, and they'll say, yeah, I I know I should, but, and I've heard this a thousand times, this excuse. Yes, I know I should, but I'm not ready yet. Later, one of the Puritans said, delayed repentance is no repentance. We look for excuses and we put it off. But if you're an unbeliever, let me give you some caution, some of those dangerous signs. The longer you put it off, the harder it gets. You think it'll get easier later? You'll be making more excuses. The harder, the longer you wait, the harder it gets because you get used to sin and its pleasures and you find more excuses. Not only that, the longer you delay, the more sins, listen closely, the more sins you will have. To account to God Almighty for when you die. You have so many sins now. But if you put it off, you'll have more and more and more. That's why you should redeem the time and not put it off. And there's something else. The longer you delay, the less time you will have to repent. And you'll never know when that last time comes. Therefore, don't waste time. Don't put it off. Because if you die lost, it'll be too late. No second chance after you die. Time will be up for you. God is patiently waiting for you now, but the time will come. There'll be no more time. You'll be in eternity. If you die lost you will regret not having believed in Christ when you had that time. You'd say, what a fool I was. I heard that preacher. My Sunday school teacher taught me something. I read something from the Bible and I kept delaying. And you'll regret not believing. Great Jonathan Edwards said, you will even regret that you didn't die younger in life with fewer sins on your record, but you died as an old person With more sins, you'll say, oh, that I would have died younger. I wouldn't have had as many sins that I'm now being punished for. Why delay? Do it today. Redeem the time because the days are evil. God is patiently waiting for you. He is giving you, here's another use of the word time. He is giving you time to repent. And some people say, you're right, I'm going to take that opportunity because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The Bible says, do not boast about tomorrow. You do not know what even one day will bring forth. Time is precious. There's an interesting verse in Revelation where God says, I gave her time to repent, but she did not repent. There are people that God has been waiting for all their lives, patiently, giving them time, opportunity. But then time will be up one day, and we don't know when. Young people, it's wisest to believe in Christ while you're young. But not just young people. Some of you may be middle-aged. What are you waiting for? Come and believe in Jesus now. Nobody can relive a single day. You can never go back again. Time is chronological. It's not not like the Buddhist wheel that it's all a cycle of reincarnated time. Think about this. It will never ever again be October 8th, 2023. It'll never again be this day. Tomorrow's another day. That's in the future. That will one day be in the past. Think about this also. We will be in eternity far longer than our time here on earth. However long you have, you may die middle age. You may you may make it to a hundred. We had a lady in our church that made it to a hundred. But we'll be in eternity far longer. Picture it like this, friends. Let's say you die at a certain age. Let's say uh, forty-two. Then you die. The time will come in eternity. You'll say, I've been in eternity as long as I had been back on earth. I've been here 42 years. But then you keep going and you say, I've been here 100 years. And then you'll keep going and at some point maybe an angel will say, you will be in eternity as long as earth had existed for so many thousands of years and there is still no end to it. There's no end to eternity it's time without end. The wisest thing, therefore, is to get ready now, before we enter eternity. Are you ready? Psalm 90, verse 12 says, teach us to number our days. Because that time will come when time will be up for our visit on planet Earth. I mentioned people have different ways of measuring time. Someone came up with the old idea of the hourglass. I have this in my office. It's also a reminder of my favorite hymn. The sands of time are sinking. You turn it over and all those thousands of little grains of sand start sinking to the bottom of the hourglass. And then the last one goes through. Time is over. You've heard the old saying, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. There's also special times, golden opportunities. If you're a Christian, you have special times. The Lord's Day is a special time. Don't waste it by sleeping in late or going to a football game. God has ordained one day in seven in the Old Testament was Saturday, in the New Testament Sunday. It's a special. Time, it's a holy time that we should treasure and use to meet with God's people and to worship and to sing and to learn God's word. This is a holy time. So brethren, let's not waste time. Time is precious. It's more valuable than gold. And serve God while you have that time. We come next to verse 17. In light of these things, he says, therefore... Do not be unwise. You notice earlier, verse 15, the positive is be wise. Verse 17, the negative is do not be unwise. Have true wisdom. Now notice I said true wisdom. There is a false wisdom. Book of Proverbs calls that the wisdom of a fool. Worldly wisdom. For example, 1 Corinthians 1 contrasts true wisdom and false wisdom. It says the world's wisdom is foolishness to God, but God's wisdom looks foolish to them. Put that in, in your life. You witness to some unbeliever, a friend, a relative, and they say, that's, that's idiocy. Why should I believe in some dead Jew 2,000 years ago? I want life and fun now. What's I got? What, what, what relevance is that? They think that you're foolish to be a Christian. They say, You're giving up all that fun that you say is sin. I say it's fun. To them, you are the fool. Ah, but we need to see things from God's point of view. That's the definition of wisdom. Seeing it from God's point of view, He says righteousness, holiness, goodness, truth. That's where you find true wisdom, not in sin. It's all a matter of what perspective you have. Part of wisdom is discernment. Hebrews 5 says discernment is the ability to wisely differentiate truth and error, light and darkness, good and evil. But it says in the book of Isaiah, woe to those that call good evil and evil good. They've got it all backwards. Discernment can tell the difference. Now wisdom is more than simply knowledge and information. Wisdom is knowing how to use knowledge. But there are people that are extremely brilliant. I mean, I accused 160, 70, 80. When I was in seminary in California, I knew people that worked for Caltech and the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Anybody know what those are? Those are supreme think think tanks. Ain't? They don't have any idiots working there. Even the scrub women are very smart. These are the brilliant of the most brilliant New people working for the Rand Corporation. Super geniuses. And they didn't have a lick of common sense. <laughs> I remember one of, one, of the, one of the guys, in fact, he was a song leader at the church I attended, and he worked over there at uh, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. You know, they're smart rocket scientists. He said, these guys, they are so smart, they're doing computer computations in their head walking kind of like this. And it was his job to teach the new secretaries how to deal with the super geniuses and he'd sit them down and say now these guys are as brilliant as Einstein they don't have much common sense they'll walk into work with their pajamas on asking you is it it day or night right now and they'll walk up to you like a little boy and say am I hungry and it's your job to open the desk and say yes take this sandwich and go sit down and eat right now sir in other words they have knowledge but not wisdom And there are people like that. On the other hand, there are some people who don't have much knowledge. But they've got godly wisdom. They see things from God's point of view. They believe what God says. Unfortunately, a lot of the people that get very, very smart think they're too smart to believe the Bible. And I want to ask them, you think you're smarter than God? God knows everything Or as Einstein said, nobody knows even one one one-hundredth of anything, let alone everything. And you're smarter than God? But then there are people that have very little knowledge. Maybe they dropped out of sixth grade. But they believe the Bible and they know God's ways and they trust it. I've said it before, I'll say it again. An eight-year-old girl that believes the Bible and trusts in Jesus is more truly wise than a man with an IQ of 160. Why? If he doesn't believe in Christ, he doesn't see things from God's point of view. Spiritually, he's a fool. He is not wise. Wisdom is also determined what godly principles are. We are to pray for wisdom, James chapter 1 says. So how do we get wisdom? From God who is not only omniscient, That means he knows everything. Here's a Latin term. He is omnisapient. He has all wisdom. He knows not only all the facts and the information, past, present, and future, he knows how they all correlate. He knows exactly how things are and should be from his point of view. We need to learn his ways. It says in the book of Psalms Israel knew God's acts, but Moses knew God's ways. He could connect the dots. Other people just see the dots and they don't see how they relate. How do we get wisdom? From the Bible. The Bible is God's book to teach us wisdom and to be wise. Such as in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is seeing things as God sees them and says them to be. There's also practical wisdom. Not just theoretical knowledge like systematic theology, but practical knowledge how to put the knowledge in the Bible and what God says into practice day by day to make wise decisions. So the text here says, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The wisest thing we can ever do is to get ready for eternity. That means get ready for death by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the wisest thing. If you're not a Christian, that's the wisest thing you'll ever do. And if you are a Christian, that was the wisest thing you ever did in your life. Lastly, look at the last part of verse 17. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Understanding is another part of wisdom. Now, in the Bible, the term, the will of the Lord is, refers to two or three things. First off, it would refer to what we would call the ultimate will of God in predestination. God has predestined everything that will ever happen to the smallest detail, to the exact moment. It's all been planned, pre-planned, predestined. It's going to come to pass. We call that the secret will of God. He hasn't told us all about it. He just says it's there, and he gives us a few clues. But he also says... Don't pry into that. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine: The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things that are revealed belong to us and our children that we may do all the words of this law. So we're not to pry into that will of God, but the other side of the will of God is what we call the revealed will of God. That includes his commands, his prohibitions, his, his principles, his precepts. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. These are those things that teach us how to walk holy lives and righteous lives. They are for our good and for God's glory. Perhaps what Paul says in this verse is one aspect of that will of God that we would call the specific will of God. For example, God says, be holy as I am holy. And you might say, well, can you give me an example Well, don't do this and do do that. But then we talk about a specific will of God that we call his guidance. You know, as a pastor, I've been asked many times over the years, usually by young people, Pastor, how can I know the will of God for my life? They want to know, for example, who should I date? Who should I get married to? Should I go to college, join the army? What kind of job? Where should I live? Should I rent or buy a house? How can I know the will of God? As it says here, understand what the will of the Lord is. We've all faced decisions. And we say, Lord, show me your will. First step is you've got to be willing to do his will. Whereas Jesus said, he that is willing to do my will is my true disciple. So how do we understand what the specific will of the Lord is for making decisions that we face every day? And some of them are pretty big decisions. For example, a young man wants to get married. And here's one that I hope never comes across your desk, but it came across my desk. Young man says, I want to get married. I said, well, you got someone in mind? He said, yeah, there's Janie and Susie. And I said, well, wait, 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 wait. I like them both, and they have different talents and backgrounds and so forth, and I can't make up my mind. And I said, don't choose either one until you know for sure. But sometimes we're at a crossroads. Should I rent? Should I buy? Should I go to college, join the Army, go to work? What should I do? How can I know the will of God for my life? Well, let me give you a very short list of, what, 14 or 15 things. I'm going to go through them real quickly. If you want to know more, we've got a handout out there in the lobby. Number one, to know the specific will of God, search the Bible and see, are there commands and prohibitions that directly apply to your case? For example, you may be looking at a choice and say, well, this one is good. There's nothing, ah, but that one, that's a sinful thing. Well, then cross that off. Number two, look for good and bad examples in the Bible. There may be a case just like yours in the Bible. Find it and say, well, that's how God wants me to follow the good example and avoid the bad one. Number three, learn God's principles of wisdom. Learn his ways. And that will help you make the decisions. For example, they both look similar on the surface. But there's an aspect of wisdom that looks beneath the surface. and just doesn't look at the here and now, but looks at the consequences. Principles of wisdom will help you make those decisions. Number four, the Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there is safety and wisdom. So when you have to make a decision, ask godly counsel. Children, ask your parents. Ask your pastor, the church elders. There are counselors that can say, ah. I know just what you're, you need to hear to make that decision. And he gives it to you, and a little light comes on. He say, now I see it. And you make the right decision. Ask godly counsel. Number five, learn, learn from the example of Solomon. Wisest man that ever lived outside of Jesus. So you see a decision, a situation. Boil it down to this, what they call the state of the question. Yes or no, black or white, this way or that. And sometimes it looks like a stalemate. Ask for God to intervene. You remember Solomon had to make the decision between two women fighting over one baby. Yee! <laughs> you know what they'd say in Yiddish? Yee oi they! How do you make the decision? They both, the two women, one baby. One of them is right and the other one's a liar. How could he tell the difference? Solomon said, Bring me a sword, cut the baby in half. He knew that the real mother would say, never cut the baby in half and the other would say, yeah, go right ahead. In other words, you face a hard decision, ask God to intervene with a new factor that will solve the decision for you. Number six, when you're facing a big decision, ask which of these would most glorify God. Number seven, which of these choices would better increase your holiness, or would hinder your sanctification? For example, a job offer. And you got two job offers, and you say, "Look at this one. This offers seventy-five thousand dollars a year, plus a pay package of all sorts of retirement benefits." And Tax deductibility. This looks good. Well, where would we live? we Would live over there, and it's in a, a good neighborhood, very safe, and there are good schools and shopping. Oh, and you say the wife. This looks good, and she says, "But honey, look at the other option. That first one is not a good church within a hundred miles." And there are other things. And she says, "But look at this. Oh, yes, it'll be won't pay as much, but there are good churches. We got relatives there that we can." Need to care for our elderly parents and people we can turn to? Honey, don't you see this outweighs that? Which one increases your holiness? You see it from God's point of view. Here's another factor. What would Jesus do? That was a popular thing some years ago. You remember that, the WWJD bracelets? Well, that's a good point because the Bible says to imitate Jesus. What would Jesus do? What decision would he make? Number nine, which of these decisions would most wise Christians choose? Number ten, would either one of these decisions hurt your testimony or lead you to temptation? Back to the job offer. You say, well, this one is good and safe, but that one, man, there's going to be temptation everywhere you turn. They're going to be asking you to lie for the company or to steal or not to report this to the IRS. That's too much temptation. That helps you make the right decision. Number 11, consider the consequences. Number 12, don't flip a coin to make a major decision or simply go by feelings or looking for omens. Number 13, pray for wisdom to make these decisions because it may look like, okay, they look the same, but wisdom will see they're not the same. And that'll help you make the decision. Ask God to open your eyes and even intervene so that sometimes God intervenes and you don't even have to make the decision. He's just made it for you. He's closed one door. Lastly, don't go against your conscience or a known biblical teaching. Some people face major decisions. They pray for guidance, and they're so emotionally swayed in one direction, they begin to invent exceptions to what they know the Bible Says. Well, that's just a short list of some suggestions on how to know the will of the Lord as it says here, understand what the will of the Lord is. I believe my time is up. I'll set the, um, the sands of time aside. Let's conclude. Brethren, be wise. Walk carefully and circumspectly. Look out that you don't step on a rattlesnake or cross a rickety bridge. Walk carefully. Next, redeem the time. Don't waste it. And lastly, know and follow God's revealed will and know more about it and be willing to follow it. Let's pray. Father, these are very practical principles and exhortations you give us. May your spirit help us to see them, to believe them, and to obey them. In Jesus' name, amen.